Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, we're having a little trouble getting through to our uh, our guest who's um, scheduled to be on with this next. So I just want to tell the studio that I just emailed you the phone number again. So you've got it on an email. So just call that number right now, please. And uh, as you can tell, I'm not right next door to the studio. I'm a couple hundred miles away from the studio that does the production for this show. So call that number that I just emailed you, and uh, the guest should be there. And if not, then we'll call our next guest. So let me know, just write on the screen and let me know who's there. Just one word will be fine. Well, I'll just find out who's there. It's the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network, international media coverage of global events, Paris and post-Paris terror attack. And uh, we're going to be speaking in a little while with Abdelrahim Foukara, the Washington Bureau Chief of Al Jazeera. And joining us now from Agence France Presse, which is the largest French news agency, is Eric Randolph. We spoke with Mr. Randolph last weekend after the horrific attacks on Paris. And Eric, thank you so much for uh, making yourself available to us again. No worries. Uh, thanks for having me. What's the, uh, what's the overview now? Let's begin with Brussels. What can you tell us about what's going on in the Belgian capital? And um, the, the latest information from there is what? Sure. The, le- the, the latest is, well, I mean, a lot of the focus has now shifted to, to Belgium and Brussels. Um, the government there has uh, con- continued to have an imminent attack alert. So the, the city has been uh, basically shut down. The metros, uh, public uh, areas where the public gathers um, are all closed. Um, it's apparently a very eerie quiet about the place Um and uh, they're still hunting for uh, one of the Paris attackers, who is known, uh, Saleh Absalam, uh, and possibly one other person, and maybe more. Um, and they think there's, uh, and, the, and the word is that there's a potential uh, Paris-style attack um, imminent in the capital. So, yeah. When they're talking about extending this particular, this, this lockdown of the city of Brussels until tomorrow, that is, uh, that would be something that, um, I mean, it's unprecedented. So they've they've yeah. they've gone to the highest terror threat, but they're locking the down locking down the city until tomorrow. That speaks to something. Yeah, it does. I mean, we 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 really don't have many details of that. I mean, as far as we know, the the only real information that, that, that that's clear is that we know one of the Paris attackers. Uh, left Paris, who was taken by two people in a car, who have both been apprehended, say that they didn't know uh, the extent, uh, they didn't know exactly who he was, uh, but that, that he may have been wearing a suicide belt at the time. He was wearing a big jacket, in the words of one of them. Uh, and there's also uh, information from some friends of his that he may have supposed to, he may have been supposed to blow himself up in Paris and failed to do so, and therefore he may be being watched by uh, Islamic State as much as he's being hunted by uh, the, the European authorities. 
What's the mood in Paris today? What's going on as far as security in the city is concerned? I know that people were trying to get their lives back, and we saw a video of that on, on Friday night as as the people of Paris went back out and, and did what they normally would do. Many of them would do on a Friday night, but what's happening in the city now, and what's happening as far as security is concerned, Eric? Well, um, yeah, it's been a, a very nervy week, um, as you can imagine. Um, people are getting spooked quite easily by things. That, you know, one of the more absurd examples was that today uh, a pigeon uh, was electrocuted on some train lines in, at the Gare du Nord uh, railway station, and um, that people thought that that was gunshots and there was people fleeing off the trains and so on. And we've had a few stories like that. Uh, so people are on edge. But at the same time, there's a sort of, you know, as you hope for, there's a kind of stoic uh, determin- determination to, to just get on with everyday life. And, uh, and it's been quite nice to see people getting back into bars, still sitting on the terraces and uh, getting on with normal um, uh, normal French life. Um, Security-wise, uh, you know, everybody's on high alert, and then they have been for quite a while. Um, it doesn't really feel particularly different. Um, it doesn't feel like we're quite at the police state yet, but uh, but there's definitely a lot of police and army around, as there has been for, for most of the year since the attacks on Charlie Hebdo. The president of France, François Hollande, of course, as we know, declared war on ISIS, and the French military, the Air Force particularly, began launching significant airstrikes. Uh, What's happening now as far as the French military involvement in attacking ISIS is concerned? Is it, yeah. is it what it was? Are they ramping it up? What's, what's going on? Yeah, they, I mean, they are, but it, a lot of it is rhetorical. Um, and I, 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 I wouldn't call them significant airstrikes. Uh, I, I've been writing about this this week. Uh, I spoke to uh, David Kilcullen, who is one of the advisors to General Petraeus in the Iraq War, and he made the point to me, which was, these are not. There's never been a significant air campaign against ISIS. Um, at the most, the U.S.-led coalition has bombed ISIS maybe 20, 25 times a day. Less than that, even maybe 15 or 20. Uh, compare that to the Kosovo campaign in '99, when there were 250 air sorties a day happening, or the first year of the Afghan invasion, first months of the Afghan invasion, when we had 110. Um, sorties of airstrikes every day. Um, France, in particular, has played quite an insignificant role in, in the campaign against Syria. It's, it's moving it, uh, one of its aircraft carriers into the Gulf of the Mediterranean, and it's supposed to be ready to go as of tomorrow. But whether that translates into a, a really significant military op- uh, offensive against ISIS um, seems doubtful to me. The rest of Europe, other European cities, uh, under any kind of uh, increased terror threat and and um, and security activity going on anywhere? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think I think Europe is now aware that that the ISIS threat is is different to how we'd been looking at it before. ISIS had not been considered a uh, a group that was interested in carrying out international terrorism. Now it's very clear that it is, and therefore all European cities are on some kind of alert. And the hope is that this attack will finally get uh, Europe working together. Um, there's been some very petty kind of territorial um, um, failure to uh, to share information, failure to share passenger data uh, on airlines. 
um, and, uh, and and generally not taking the threat as seriously as it should be. And I think uh, with a bit of luck, this will be a wake-up call. Obviously, there's always going to be gaps when you're dealing with this kind of threat. But um, I think uh, I think European leaders are finally waking up to the, to the, to the seriousness of the problem and. Um, I think they've probably been working harder in the last week than they have been for, for, for many months. But, but life changes in Europe now going forward, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a sense in which everyone's always looking over their shoulders to some extent. Um, uh, Europe is uh, an open society, and it's going to be it's going to be vulnerable to to this kind of threat um, for as long as there are state sponsors of terrorism. Uh, in the Middle East, which is what the Islamic State has become. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, you clearly you have to take uh, you have to take measures to protect uh, your citizens, um, um, but you have to work hard on the intelligence side, and you have to and you have to have those those intelligence sharing mechanisms in place, and uh, and and you have to take the threat uh, seriously as it as it should do. Um, the hope is that. Uh, it, uh, it doesn't disrupt the kind of open society that we have, and that it doesn't, in particular, that it doesn't encourage the kind of far-right, right-wing groups that have already done quite well out of fear-mongering around this issue, which would create further divisions in the society and only make things worse. So that leads me to one final question for you. French elections are coming up in about a month's time. Yeah. What do you see developing? Is it possible that, uh, uh, is it Marie Le Pen, the... Uh... Is the far right leader of the Front National? Could she make um, significant gains because of yeah, what's been going on? She was already looking good. Um, they were going to win. This is, these are regional elections, so it's, it's not a make or break issue for France. Um, but she was, her party was already looking strong. It's been doing well uh, in some local elections recently, and she was going to win her a seat for herself in one of the large regions in the north that had some immigration issues. Um, whether these, these attacks are probably going to be good for her. But at the same time, it's complicated. She's, because she's anti-Europe, she's also anti some of the things that Europe needs to get done. It, she's not very interested in cooperating with her European neighbours on intelligence or sharing passenger information and things like that. So it's, it's not as cut and dried. But certainly a lot of people who were already leaning kind of rightwards Will will take these attacks as proof that they need someone tough in power, and she may represent that. But I think enough French people still understand that creating further divisions in society is the last thing that France needs at the moment. Uh, what it needs is to be united uh, and to stand up to uh, to terrorists, not to create further hatred and division. Eric, thank you so much. I appreciate the time last weekend and today. Thank you. Thank you. Eric Randolph uh, from Agence France Press, joining us from Paris. When we come back, we'll talk to Abdelrahim Foukara. He's the Washington Bureau Chief of Al Jazeera. Stay with us. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com, Roy at RoyGreenShow.com, and follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. At the uh, end of the hour, before the end of the hour, we'll be asking you about media and whether you are satisfied with uh, media being objective and providing you the information that you're looking for, or whether you think media have bias, which they include in the news stories they deliver to you. So we'll do that before the end of the hour. 
We heard from Eric Randolph at Agence France Press from Paris. With me now is Abdelrahim Foukara. He's the Washington bureau chief of Al Jazeera. Mr. Foukara has joined us over the years, periodically, when major events have taken place, uh, often when they've had to do with the Middle East. And Abdelrahim, thank you so much. Uh, Sunday afternoon, I appreciate you taking the time. What is Al Jazeera focusing on when, when you report on the Paris attack, on the lockdown of Brussels? What's of most interest to your viewers, your listeners, your online readers, your consumers? Well, good to be with you and your audience, uh, uh, Roy, first of all. Uh, obviously, uh, for us, um, what's happening in Europe is so close to the Middle East. And we all know what's uh, happening uh, uh, across the Middle East, what's been happening across the Middle East over the last four or five years. There's a lot of uh, instability. There's a lot of uh, uh, chaos. So when we uh, focus on what's happening in uh, Europe, as opposed to uh, uh, the United States, Europe is geographically close to the Middle East. And the sheer volume of human exchange between Europe and the Middle East and uh, North Africa far exceeds, obviously, anything um, between that part of the world and uh, the United States. One dimension uh, of it, um, as we look at the tragedy happening, uh, not just in uh, Paris, uh, happening in Paris, um, developments unfolding in uh, Belgium, tragedy happening in uh, Mali uh, over the last uh, few days, there's the issue of Syria in particular. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of Islamophobia. There is a lot of fear that refugees from uh, uh, Syria uh, may be carrying danger with them uh, for, for, for Europe. All these things, this is a cocktail of um, hot topics that are of uh, interest to us. And it really makes it very difficult to try and amply follow every single strand of what's happening right now. How do you decide what what has priority? You're, you actually mentioned Syria, and uh, I find that Syria is often forgotten in, in reporting. There's a lot of talk about the refugees, the the, the huge numbers of refugees that have made themselves made their way to Europe, and and now there are numbers being brought into North America, which is creating controversy here. But how do you decide what uh, what, the, what the dominant story is and where does the actual what's going on in the ground in Syria fit into the overall mosaic? Well, in terms of what you decide to cover, that's obviously decided by what's happening on the day, uh, on the, 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 the day of the carnage in Paris, for example. You know, it, it wouldn't have been possible to focus on anything else but the carnage that had happened. Uh, not just in terms of the event itself, but also, um, you know, the, the, the human tragedy. And then you have to start examining why it is happening, um, what's it tied to. And obviously, uh, we always come back to uh, Syria in one way or another. In Syria, we have now this fight that's been uh, going on for some time against the uh, Islamic State first by uh, Western countries uh, and then more recently by Russia on the, on the side of uh, Bashar al-Assad. But, you know, the broader context to this is what's been happening in that country, Syria, over the last four or five years. Remember, initially in 2011, uh, uh, Syrians uh, peacefully descended 
to basically uh, uh, demand more rights, and then uh, that didn't go according to plan, and the, the, the revolution, so to speak, got militarized. And then uh, people got arms, and then foreigners started to pour into uh, Syria to uh, fight the regime of uh, Bashar al-Assad. And then, you know, the neighbors got uh, uh, drawn in. And the end result of all this is about 300,000 Syrians killed. Um, about 14 million uh, Syrians are destitute either in their own country or as refugees in the neighborhood, about 4 million uh, total in Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan. And as we know, a lot of them have been pouring uh, into uh, Europe in recent weeks and months. So it's a, it's a tragedy of historic uh, proportions. And then you get the events such as what happened in Paris. Um, and it all reminds you that, you know, the backdrop of all this is an issue that still needs to be resolved. And that's what's happening in Syria. How is ISIS perceived in the Middle East? Or is that a question that's is that a simple question to answer, or is that a complicated question to answer? It's a complex question to answer. Um, it's complex because increasingly um, ISIS is referred to uh, in the Middle East as Daesh. Uh, Daesh is the uh, Arabic acronym for Islamic State for Syria and Sham. Sham is the old name for, for Syria. So it, it's a pejorative way now uh, used uh, to refer to the Islamic State in many, many parts of the, the, the Middle East. There's a lot of uh, fear uh, as to what the agenda of, you know, this uh, group is beyond uh, Syria and uh, Iraq. With people in the Middle East are following the news that this group is now active in Go ahead, the, Sahel, the Sahel region. So there is, there is a lot of concern about it. Okay, but let me get you. Also, let me just get you to hold on for a couple of minutes, if I could, because sure, we have sure. to take a break. We're going to come back and we'll continue with Abdel Rahim Fakara, the Washington bureau chief of Al Jazeera, and we'll continue with uh, with uh, Mr. Fakara's explanation of how ISIS is viewed in the region, and then we'll we'll continue with uh, how uh, Al Jazeera is covering everything that's going on in the Middle East and in Europe. Stay with us. We've been talking a great deal about how media covers various um, stories over the years and uh, various events. And different media take different approaches. But ultimately, it's the consumer, the media consumer, who has the expectation of the media organization to provide them what it is you want and how satisfied you are. With the media information you're receiving, we're going to find out shortly when I ask you on the air. Uh, before the end of the hour, we'll open the phone lines on that. Abdul Rahim Fukara is with me. He's the Washington Bureau Chief of Al Jazeera. Mr. Fukara has joined us, as I said earlier, on several occasions over the years when we've had major stories that uh, have involved uh, the Middle East particularly. And Abdul Rahim, sorry to interrupt you. I was so interested in what you were saying, I forgot to check the clock. And uh, so, so you're describing to us what how ISIS is perceived in the region. Please continue. Yes, and bear with me if I talk over you, uh, uh, Roy. The, you, the sound coming into my uh, ear is a little low, probably because of my cell phone. So bear with me if I do that again. I was just saying that the, the picture is so complex because we have that denigrating 
view on uh, the, the, the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, um, you have the people asking uh, a lot of vexing questions about, you know, where was this group? How come it has suddenly over the last three years or so been in charge of large parts of two major countries in the Middle East, Iraq and, and uh, Syria? Um, but, you know, it has also uh, to be said that for all the negative views that, you know, you find of this group throughout the Middle East, the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty uh, uh, around it and the fact that they've been able to draw the numbers they need to do all these things they, they, they need raise a, a lot more uh, questions than they answer about, about the, uh, the group. So it's a very complex view uh, of the group throughout the Middle East. Are you able, as a news organization, to report on them the way you wish? If a Western news organization were to try to send reporters in to cover them up close, we know what would happen to the reporters. What about Al Jazeera reporters? Can you get close to them? Well, obviously, we have um, some presence in uh, Iraq, um, in various parts of the country. We have a lot of expertise in terms of the people who understand the, the region, and they may not necessarily be able to actually uh, get into the, the, the fighting zones, but they get close, close enough to be able to gauge the, the situation much more uh, authentically, so to speak, during the Kobani, the war in the city of Kobani a couple of years ago on the border between Syria and uh, 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 Turkey, we were able to get some of our correspondents into the, the, the war zone for them to report from there. In Syria, it's a different situation. Syria, um, the government of Syria has not allowed any news organizations to uh, report from the parts of the of the country that the regime still uh, um, controls uh, as to uh, regions, parts of Syria controlled by opposition. It depends on the opposition uh, a group. There are some of the groups called moderate groups. Yes, they allow the press, they allow Jazeera. As to ISIS and uh, similar uh, groups, it just depends. The think you just have to try and get as close to the area they control as, as, as possible. So it's not always uh, possible to actually get the news from where they are uh, with uh, perhaps sources inside the organization giving possibly a different view from, from, from what we hear. But we do have a lot of people in Iraq and Syria trying to report as authentically on these developments as possible. A story that got a lot of attention was... After the Paris attacks, there was a soccer game between Turkey and Greece with the respective countries' presidents in attendance. And uh, they had called for, the public address announcer called for a moment of silence, or a period of silence, uh, in reflection of what had happened in Paris. And we were hearing that, um, that there was anything but, at least from certain sections of the stadium, anything but silence and respect shown. What's the story there? It's, it's, it's difficult, Roy, to know exactly what's, what's going on. I mean, the issue of uh, immigration in uh, Europe 
uh, particularly immigration from uh, North Africa, is a very, very, very complex issue. Um, and, you know, in situations like these, like the attacks that we have seen recently in Paris, the attacks that we saw um, uh, against the, the Charlie uh, uh, Hebdo in, in Paris uh, 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 earlier in, in, in the year, you get, you get mixed feelings uh, among the immigrant population. You hear a lot of condemnation uh, of uh, the, the, the violence, whether the recent one or, or, or on previous occasions. But there are obviously some parts of uh, that immigrant population who do not necessarily feel that they've been made welcome enough throughout the generations. You know, they may have uh, been uh, in France for two or three generations, for example, but they still don't feel that they are fully part and parcel of that society. And so when you have demonstrations of uh, uh, nationalism or nationalist uh, favor, that becomes, uh, it, it becomes a little puzzling. Um, but when you get reactions like the one that, uh, that you are re referring to. But I think, as I said, it, it's very difficult to judge uh, except to say that, you know, things are not as black and white as they, as many of us would like them to be when it comes to immigration in that part of the world. Abdurrahim, why are some Arab countries, notably Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and others, not taking in refugees from Syria? Other countries are taking in huge numbers. Jordan, I think, over a million people. Turkey, maybe over a million people. Why are the Arab states closing their doors? Well, I mean, like you say, uh, Jordan, Jordan is an Arab country. It's a poor Arab country. It doesn't have any oil, doesn't have any gas. Um, and it's taken um, hundreds of thousands of uh, refugees over the years, not just from the recent uh, conflicts in Syria, but also from uh, Iraq since the 2003 uh, invasion of that country. The, the same thing for uh, Lebanon, a small country, tiny country, Arab country, which doesn't have any oil, doesn't have any gas. It's also uh, taking hundreds of thousands um, of Syrian refugees. Turkey is not an Arab country, um, but it's a major country in the region. It did open its doors to uh, refugees, although... Recently, it's been getting overwhelmed by the numbers of uh, refugees and by the political and security implications of having all, all those people uh, hosted in Turkey. If you talk to some of the Gulf states, uh, whether they are uh, Arab or non-Arab, for example, uh, Iran, a lot of questions are being asked. You guys, you have the means and the wherewithal to take in more refugees from Syria. Why aren't you doing it? And it depends which government you talk to. If you talk to the, 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 the top, some of them, some governments in the region, they say, well, we take them in, we just don't call them refugees. The Qataris, for example, um, their official line is that we have taken in more than 50,000 Syrian refugees, but we don't call them refugees because we give them legal status, we give them jobs, we give them uh, health insurance and health services and... and so, you know, these, these, uh, these questions are, are there. You know, some people may be convinced by that. Some people may not be convinced. 
but the, 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 I think, uh, Roy, the, the question, the real question now that has to be asked is why are these refugees heading to Europe? I mean, they've had uh, asylum, they've had refuge in these Arab countries, Jordan and, and, uh, um, and Lebanon and in Turkey, but now they don't want to stay there. And when they, now also when they leave in Syria, they don't want to go anywhere else. They want to go to Europe. And it just tells you uh, about some of the things that they think they are craving for, and that is human rights and dignity. Unfortunately, the attacks in Paris have scrambled the picture, and life is becoming very, very difficult for them, even in Europe. I, I wanted to ask you about that. Can you stay with us a few minutes longer? Sure. Okay, let me take a break, and we'll come back and talk some more with Abdurrahim Fukara from Al Jazeera, Washington bureau chief for Al Jazeera. I'm also curious how the uh, U.S. presidential debate or debates are going over in the Middle East, uh, particularly when the Republican frontrunner so far, Donald Trump, is uh, talking about sending uh, everyone back who's come from Syria if he becomes the president and establish a Muslim database and some of the other things Mr. Trump has said that uh, still land him uh, at the top of the uh, the top of the heap when it comes to the presidential contenders and polling. He's just running away with the numbers. We'll come back with Abdurrahim Fukara on the Roy Green Show. Stay with us. Next hour, we'll change gears. Top of the hour. Totally change gears. Totally change gears. I think you'll uh, you'll have some fun with what we're going to be doing at the top of the hour. And then uh, a great story developing in Canada, just a, a terrific story that uh, will honor the memory of Corporal Nathan Cirillo. You will not want to miss this. Abdurrahim Fukara is my guest, Washington Bureau Chief of Al Jazeera, joining us on the Chorus Radio Network. And Abdurrahim, you were, you were talking about the hundreds of thousands of uh, Syrian refugees and migrants uh, who are making their way to Europe and, uh, and and the life that they that they're looking for as opposed to making their way to other potential destinations uh, speak to us about that please because you, you talk about that it, it, it indicates the life that they are looking for and what are you hearing back as you report on the story are they finding what they're looking for or is there frustration among them what's what's going on? Well, I, I think what generally what we're hearing in this particular respect is that the what they're looking for matches the reasons why they found themselves in this situation in the first place, meaning that when they rose up uh, way back in 2011, um, they wanted, or at least many of them, wanted a, a society where they treated with dignity, where they have their rights, whether they're political, religious, uh, uh, or other rights. And the fact that uh, up until recently they suddenly started heading to uh, Europe, um, I think it was interpreted uh, by many people in the region as a sign that they basically are heading to places where they thought or they felt they would find uh, some of those rights in European uh, democracies. Um, what has happened uh, recently has obviously scrambled uh, that picture. Many of them find themselves stranded, not just stranded. Many of them find themselves the subject of profound suspicion that they may be a security uh, hazard. 
And look, I don't think you can blame uh, the Europeans. I don't think you can blame any nation for wanting to feel safe. Uh, but this is where these refugees are now. They set out to find uh, rights and dignity, but uh, many of them uh, will now find hardship and suspicion and perhaps even worse. Who knows? And when it comes to what's going on in the United States, you're, like, you're located in Washington, and uh, I've been watching very carefully what's happening with the presidential campaign, particularly the Republican presidential campaign, with Donald Trump uh, so far running away with numbers that uh, the more established candidates could only dream of. And Mr. Trump is saying some some things that would have been considered, and in many cases are still considered to be completely outrageous, how is Donald Trump, how is the presidential campaign in the United States re- reverberating in the Middle East with the Al Jazeera consumers? Well, I mean, I have to say that people in the Middle East have always uh, followed the presidential campaigns in the United States because everything that happens uh, or a lot of things that happen in the United States end up affecting uh, the region anyway. Uh, so whether you're talking about the current campaign or previous ones, there was always interest. This one um, has a lot of, uh, uh, is drawing a lot of interest, a lot of extra interest, because obviously President Obama was viewed very favorably when he came into office. And, you know, there's a lot of disillusionment. Um, now in the region with his policies, including his positions on uh, Syria. And, you know, whether that disillusionment is well-placed or misplaced is another story, but the fact is there is a lot of disillusionment with his, with his uh, policies. And then the issue of refugees, and you hear Donald Trump, people like, it's not just Donald Trump, Jeb Bush, uh, when he said that he would only give uh, uh, um, refugee, he would only admit into the United States Syrians who are Christian, uh, not not Muslim. And then you hear the the, the, the radical uh, propositions as they are seen in the Middle East of somebody else like Donald Trump uh, in terms of what to do with Muslims living in the, the, the United States. This obviously adds worry and creates consternation and perhaps even feeds into uh, the, the, the aggravation and, and, and the resentment. And who knows when, what the resentment leads to in terms of violence, whether, you know, by people here in the United States or by people in that part of, that part of the, the world. Now, unfortunately, the, 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 there's a lot of interest uh, in the campaign in the Middle East, but interest for the wrong reasons, because the wrong things are uh, uh, people feel that the wrong things are being said about refugees, about Muslims, about... Um, but people also know that this is a presidential campaign. And in the, in the campaign, particularly in a democracy like the United States, people say all sorts of crazy things. And at the end of the day, uh, the, the, the voters will sift through this uh, in, uh, on, on, on voting days, on, the, on voting day in voting polls. Uh, when that day comes. 
certainly become a it's certainly become an interesting an extremely interesting environment for people in media. Uh, we we don't know from day to day what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be covering, and and the significance of the stories and how those stories will reflect on our consumers individually and collectively. Abdurrahim, always appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roy. You're very welcome. All the best to you. Bye-bye. Abdurrahim Fukara, the uh, Washington Bureau Chief of Al Jazeera on the Roy Green Show. We'll come back right after this.